What's up, everybody? This is our first episode of Live at Nerdville with my special guest, Mr. Dion, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member since 1989, living legend, national treasure, and one of my favorite people on, on, on the plan, planet. So thank you very much for uh, doing this, Dion. It's, it's uh, you know, great of you. It's, uh, we've been friends for a long time. I'm honored to know you, and, and truly you're one of the most talented people that I've ever met in my life. So thank you for being uh, an honored guest here. No, it's a joy to be with you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I kind of, you know, everyone knows your history, you know, I mean, they know your songs and, and one of the things I like to talk about because I'm a guitar, I'm a guitar geek is, is like, like how you started, you know, I know it's a cliched question. I get it all the time is what was your first guitar? What was the, what was like when you're in the Bronx? When I did wish you, I when had did you it. I wish I, I wish I had that guitar. You know, I, uh, I remember a fella coming up to my, uh, apartment, my parents' apartment when I was about 10 years old and he sat in the middle of the kitchen and played a guitar and sang barroom songs and right. He just filled the whole kitchen with music. Joe, it was like a defining moment in my life. It was, I just never heard anything like that. It just, the whole kitchen was like music. And uh, so my uncle went out and bought me an $8 guitar. Joe, it was an L1 Gibson. I wish I still had it. I could retire if I had that guitar. But uh, he, uh, and I'll, I'll send you a picture of me and the L1. But uh, that's the guitar I learned on. Soon after that, I I used to tune, you know, late at night, I'd have this little, uh, you know, transistor radio, and I would tune in uh, maybe Wheeling, West Virginia, and I'd hear, or even the Grand Ole Opry late at night. I, right. would, I heard Hank Williams do Honky Tonk Blues, and the guy, I, I don't know, Joe, it just, it's hard to explain you you know the deal you know something that throws you on the road it just the 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 music just his voice went into my system made a left and a right and a <laughs> another right and a, up to my heart you know and it was like crazy and i i next day i was up at luchichetti's record shop on fordham road asking him who's hank williams and i want everything that he ever recorded because the guy was so committed to a lyric it was it's like he physically mentally emotionally spiritually he would dig into the the words and at the end of the line he would just rip it off with his with his mouth he would rip the he was so it just sounded uh, it was so engaging man he captured me and i'm still i'm still obsessed with that you know i and then i heard then i heard jimmy reed you know that and he started grooving and i guess i could say when i was a kid um you know maybe now i could define it as i wanted to communicate like hank williams and groove like jimmy reed but they both played guitar and i just love the sound of of a of an acoustical guitar you know that the wood right 
just it, it was so I don't it it just resonated with my soul, you know. One of the things, you know, you know, a lot of parents will come and ask me is like, I bought my kid a guitar, and how do I get him to practice? And I always say, you know, if your kid loves it, you don't have to ask him to practice. You actually have to have to ask him to go outside and be a normal kid, you know, because when I was like around eight years old, the blues and guitar and music hit me and I would isolate myself because I just wanted to play. I mean, there's some there was a point where I, I didn't know it existed. There was a point where I could live without it. And then for the rest of my life, I can't live without it. You know, I played guitar every day for almost 38 years. And <laughs> Who do you hear? What was the first guitar player you heard? The first guitar player that, that struck me, like, a, you know, it, it's that bolt of lightning, like with you with yeah. Hank Williams. It's that bolt of lightning. It was my father dropped a needle on a, an Eric Clapton record from the mid-70s. It was called Just One Night, and it was just a, a hymn recorded, I believe, at the Capitol Theater in, in uh, Port Chester, New York. And at least that's where the picture was taken. And there was something electric about it that I go, I don't know what this is. I just want to be involved. And uh -huh. he had guitars around the house. And one of the things, you know, I wanted to ask you was the, the, the notion of, you know, you've written some of the most iconic pop songs of all time. Run Around Sue, The Wanderer, Teenager in Love. What was it about the blues that like Jimmy Reed and all those guys that that was like so instrumental in your early development. And then you decided to go, I'm going to I'm going to write these wonderful classic melodies. How, how did you make that leap from the blues to to basically, you know, early rock and roll classic pop music? Well, you know, I didn't define it. I was I was doing everything on instinct. But uh, now when I look back on it, I, I would say that the blues uh, and country music really kind of like was the bedrock of my, you know, of, of everything I do, what, what everything grew out of. Like, you know, because I was doing it early on. The Wanderer is a blues song. Ruby Baby is a blues song. Drip Drop. I was doing a lot of that. But... But we were listening to uh, a lot of rock and roll, you know, like Little Richard and Chuck Berry. They, you, know, you put you put blues and country music together, and it turns into like a major chord, and you got rock and roll, art, my kind of rock and roll that right. I grew up with. So, you know, I started with that. I don't know. It was very instinctual. You know, I, I uh, in fact, <laughs> it was so instinctual. I, I'll, I'll give you an idea of how some of these songs were written. I was 16 years old and I was walking in Pelham Bay, just east of, uh, you know, my, my Italian neighborhood in the Bronx. And I heard this uh, cantor in a synagogue cantoring, you know, like, you know, and I heard this uh, something like that. So I, I walked in, I was, I was enthralled with the sound. And I met Henry Rosenblatt, who would teach me how to sing a little, you know. And and he brought me in the back and played me some of his father's records, who was in the original jazz singer with Al Jolson. This is how crazy this is. And he was a famous cantor, uh, Cantor Rosenblatt. And uh, he played me his record. When I got home, Joe, I picked up the guitar. I hit an A minor, and I wrote the song called Born to Cry. And it's like, cry. It, it's Jewish rock and roll. It's right. fusion. 
and 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 I was picking because we didn't have the internet or, you know, we couldn't, you know, we didn't have iTunes or, you know, YouTube. So I was picking stuff up from, you know, if it come out of somebody's window, you know, uh, it's crazy. So, uh, but there was a one great station that I remember that I came upon. It was called the Don Larkin show. It came out of Newark, New Jersey. And I was in maybe junior high school at the time. I would run home to catch the last 20 minutes of it, 30 minutes of it. I don't, it was an hour show. I would, man, I would run to just get, and then I borrowed my landlady's tape recorder and I used to tape some of these songs, whether they were blues songs or country songs, but you know, that's, and I, I just, I was obsessed with it. Like you're right. When people ask you, how do I get my kids to practice, man, if it's burning a hole in your soul, you can't, you can't get them away from it. You know, once, uh, I think once I learned my first song, it just, I, I, I knew I had something. It was like, like when you're in the middle of the song, you know exactly who you are because you're connected. Right. You're, you're, you're connected to a gift that God's given you, you know, whether you're conscious of it or not. Right. But you know exactly who you are because you, you are just riding the wave, you know, and, and uh, right in the middle of who you are. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm so blessed because music opened my whole life, Joe. It, it kind of it made me see the world, made me, look, I was, check this out. I'm a kid. I'm like, I'm a young teenager and I'm watching Little Richard. I'm watching Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Fats Domino dance across my living room floor on this little TV my parents bought. And within six months, I was working at the Fox Theater, Brooklyn Fox Theater wow. with these guys. And I became friends with Little Richard for all those years since he passed last week, you know. Uh, but that's how much it opened up my world. It, it's like it at that time, uh, I hope even that, that the music in a way brought people together, you know? Absolutely. So you were signed to, um, Laurie records with the Belmonts and, um, a, a friend of mine told me that, um, they encouraged you not to play the guitar. They, <laughs> yeah. they wanted you to be the front man. You know, kind yeah. of like, you know, they were, they were like, they, you know, like Bobby Darren and, you know, Frankie Lyman and all that. They were, they were the front man. I know as a singer and, and having the guitar indelibly linked to my body, even not holding one now is a little awkward. How was that? <laughs> like the first time you have to go on stage and go, okay, I'm surrounded by, you know, my, my band, but I don't have, I don't have the guitar with me. You know, what's what's that like being told by the, quote, powers of being on? No, we want you to be, you know, this and not that. You know, how do you how do you deal with that? You know, I, I, the, the business was so new, Joe. You know, we, we didn't you know, we didn't have teenage music when I was growing up. We didn't have rock and roll. Uh, it, it came in with like Lloyd Price and Little Richard. You know, it all of a sudden we had our own music. Uh, so. I, I didn't know too much. I didn't know anything about business or uh, when, when they told me that they said, you know, lead singers. Well, I didn't sign with the, I, I, 
I found the record company. Uh, somebody brought me down to this record company. I played a, a, a Carl Perkins tune, you right. know, like, and uh, they never heard anything. Like they were like, "Okay, we're going to sign you. Bring your parents down here." I signed. I was about 17 years old, and they wanted to put me with this group. Uh, I don't know. They were like a Broadway show group. I said, "No, nah, I'll let me go back to my neighborhood. I'll find some guys." You right. know, and I, I so I recruited uh, these three guys from my neighborhood who eventually uh, we we called ourselves Dion and the Belmonts. But uh, so, you know, once that happened, they, you know, and we, we would do a show that say, you can't, you know, lead singers don't play guitars, put the guitar down, you know, and I, right. I they intimidated me, you know, uh, you know, and like a lot of other things, they used to say, you don't want anybody to rob your song, do you? I say, no. They say, well, let's copyright it. I say, okay. okay. But who do, you, do you think they copyrighted in my name? I don't think so, Joe. Right. <laughs> right. So, but it was like that. I, I uh, you know, my father never had a real job. He uh, never made enough money to pay taxes. I didn't even know what they were. Bobby Darren taught me about taxes. I, I had no idea what they were. Right. So, <laughs> it's crazy. I was, but, often, uh, I was 12 years old, believe it or not. I was I was out making you know money with my little solo group, and we had an accountant um, in Utica, New York, that that was a little let's just say not doing the books properly, and his whole firm um, was audited by the IRS, including a very young Joe Bonamassa. And I would come back from school, and there'd be an IRS guy at the kitchen table, and I'm like, what 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 world is this? You know? And they're asking me all kinds of questions about guitars and write-offs. I'm like going. I'm in eighth grade, you know, <laughs> creative accounting. Yeah. We, we, we gave the guy 300 bucks to, to file, you know, anyway, it, yeah, one, one of the things that, um, you know, always interests me back in those times. You is, might be the youngest guy in the world that got ordered. It was, it was crazy. My father was so mad. Um, and one of the things that always intrigued me about the, the music business in the late fifties and early sixties, it was really a singles business. You know, there was a there was an A side and a B side. The the long play album didn't really come into much, you know, much later, you right. know. And and so what was the A and R process on the songs? Like you would write these songs that would become hits. Who who is in charge of saying, like, no, that's a hit, that's not a hit? You know, was there was there a lot of interference or creative uh influence by like say the label or producers or just, you know, radio promoters and people like that. I kid you not. You're not going to believe this. But I got into a thing very early on where I said to the company, okay, I'll do that song if you make me do this song. Right. So I did one song for them. Then I did I Wonder Why. Then I did one song for them. And I did uh, Run Around Sue. Then I did one song for them, and I did The Wanderer. Then, so then I went to Columbia. I did the same thing. They right. had me sing Al Jolson songs, and I'd do Ruby Baby. Then I w that was the whole thing for the first five years of my career. That's what I was doing, negotiating was, like that. Negotiate. And everything I did uh, became hits. It was crazy. It was like I couldn't bowl. I had a bowl of strike. It was, I was like on a roll, you know? You had the Midas touches, they say. Yeah, I, I, it was it was crazy. I was like right in the pocket, you know. It was like, you know, we had no, uh, there, there were no models or anything. So we just were making up, you know, I consider myself, uh, 
you know, like you, you're so rhythmic and, uh, you know, you're an ensemble player. I don't even know how to do that. You know, just playing this, uh, this song, uh, blues coming on with you when, when you played on that, on this latest album I did, uh, it's just crazy how you respond to every little murmur or punctuation or word or moan or whatever, you know, any little thing that's thrown out there, you respond to it's, I don't know how you do it, but that's your gift, you know? Thank, thank you. You know, um, speaking of your new album, um, one, one of the featured artists is John Hammond Jr. And um, my baby loves to boogie. And you, you, you were signed to Columbia in around 64, 65 with John Hammond Sr. And, and, you know, and that you were, you know, at that point you were like, I'm all about the blues. You know, coming from this world of like hit after hit after hit, you know, what made you at that point in time in your career say, okay, enough, enough with the top forty stuff. I I want to play Holland Wolf songs. You know, what was it just like? Was it, I can't go another day without without playing these songs? You know, without without kind of exercising this blues demon in me, or was it a conscious decision? Well, you know, up until that point, I heard blues. I heard Jimmy Reed, I heard uh, John Lee Hooker, I heard some stuff, but but John Hammond brought me into his office, and he had wall-to-wall albums. He had Lightning Hopkins, Fred McDowell, Leroy Carr, uh, you know, of course he played me Robert Johnson, you know, a preaching blues, and he was all smiles, he had a smile from ear to ear, and he said, Dion, he said, this album, King of the Delta Blues, he said, uh, uh, King of the Delta Blues Singers, he says it sold 25,000 albums. He was so happy by word of mouth. Meanwhile, right. at that time, I was signed to Columbia for like, it would have been $5 million today in, in that kind of money. But, uh, you know, my so I, I had sold millions and millions of, of records, but I knew that... These records he were, he was playing me, it it did the same thing that Hank Williams did when I was eleven, when ten or eleven, did the same thing to me. I just said, "Who's been hiding this stuff from me?" You know, and I got excited and angry at the same time. I don't know that uh, two emotions are li- living within you at the same time, but they did. And and I I grabbed a handful of albums, went home. I wasn't thinking I'm going to leave this or I don't like that. I wasn't thinking of like people think I changed or I don't know if Joe, if you come in my house and I pick up a guitar and I sing all the songs I've ever, it sounds like Dion music to me. It it doesn't, you know, it's just uh, like, so I just, um, I, I started, I get, got so caught up in listening to lightning Hopkins. Just man, the guy just, I couldn't stop listening to him. He just was amazing. And, uh, you know, not to copy him, <laughs> but I just loved the vibe. Uh, right. It was so authentic. And I always say it was the, you know, the uh, the naked cry or the human heart longing to be in union with each other or God. You know, these guys, like, they had such a realness. There was no phony thing about it, no making hit records. They were just... There it, it was something so real and genuine and authentic about it that it just, 
resonated with me. I didn't, I didn't think of leaving anything. I just wanted to be better at what I did, you know, hone my skills. That's about it. You know, but even 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 when the Beatles came in the early 60s, they call it the Beatle invasion. Like, oh, they invaded us and, you know, whatever. But I call it the British infusion. They, you know, the, the, the British were they were on target. They were listening to stuff that I, I was listening to. You know, they, they picked up on 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 the great American uh, roots music. You know, they yeah. picked it picked it up. You know, one of the things, um, you know about that time was you know you had you had bob dylan coming out you had the, the 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 british invasion and the british blues boom which was starting in 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 london and you know arguably you know when cream came over when you know john mayle and the blues breakers jeff beck led zeppelin they came back and sold us americans the music that was hiding in plain sight for almost 40 years, you know? Hiding, yeah, exactly. Hiding yeah. in plain sight, right. And yeah, one, yeah, of yeah. The, one of the things that always attracted me to those blue, you know, like blue, blue songs by Howlin' Wolf and Lightning Hopkins, My Waters, and the they kind of tuned up with the piano if the piano was in tune, but the only thing that was absolutely in tune would be the harmonica because that was the unmovable tuning at that point. So you get this beautiful rub and there's just, this nonchalantness about the recordings, but they're just so, so vital. And they were poets. They were they were oh, they were right, lyrical right. poets. They put together these words that, you know, we've been trying to copy for God. I mean, since since they came out, and and you can't do it. Talk you to know, me about yeah, Robert Johnson. If I had possession over the Judgment Day, yeah, that little woman I'm loving wouldn't have the right to pray. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or or uh, or Jimmy Reed saying, you know, uh, if you leave me, baby, you better take some insurance out on me because if you do leave me, I'm gonna lay right down and die. Right. You know, like I, who writes lyrics like this? You know, uh, and Hank Williams, uh, you know, I I would throw him in there. He was just, uh, you know, the Shakespearean hillbilly, whatever they call him. He, he was just great. So yeah, you're right. That I don't know that like. Uh, some of the lyrics, what about, you know, there was some of them were, because I was in a gang in the Bronx, you know, and you, you hear a blues song like, I got a, I got a, uh, what, what's that song? I have a, I, I have a, a pearl handle switchblade, baby, and I got a sawed off shotgun. Mm -hmm. If I don't cut you while you're standing, I'll shoot you while you're running. I'm, I said, what the, who, who, I didn't hear this in Italian music. Although right. they, you know, I didn't hear this with Jimmy Roselli and uh, uh, who were the uh, Jerry Vale, you know, who the in, in right. my neighborhood who was, you know, Frank Sinatra. They were in the jukebox. I, I, I just got caught up in it. It was just so some of it was brutal. Some of it was beautiful. But even the beauty was, be uh, you know, could could really be uh, cutting, you know. Yeah. And some some like even the ballads you know, like had these very cutting lyrics and, and you wouldn't realize it until you actually just sat down and read them. You're going, oh, th this, this is some pretty dark subject matter in this beautiful song, you know, and it's, it's, it was just a wonderful time. Tell me about like some of the session guys you, you play with, like Bucky Pizzarelli, Mickey Baker. Um, you know, what was it like? Because those are, those are heavy jazz cats, you know? You know, they were so helpful. 
Bucky Pizzarelli was one of the nicest guys I've ever met on the face of the planet. He, this guy just was so helpful, you know, it was like, how could I help you? And he'd, you know, he'd always come up with options on what to play or in the, in the register of what to play. So, he, you know, so it would sound a little different, not everybody get in everybody's way or the horn players, uh, you know, like, uh, Panama Francis on drums or, or, uh, you know, we had, uh, Buddy Lucas on horn. They were all musicians from the Apollo Theater. Jerome Richardson on horn, uh, Big Al Sears, King Curtis, right. uh, Stick Sevens on drums, yeah. and then Milt Tilton on bass. But they all were like, they wanted to help us. They right. were so encouraging. They would encourage us. And uh, <clears throat> so they made the sessions a joy, you know just a joy and to listen to some of the stories they told uh it, it was just it, it was just a special time for me joe but and and i did learn how to little by little i became a better songwriter because I, I would like for, for, to give you uh, an example like you know i did the wanderer when i was i don't know say 20 years old uh you know i, I grew up across the street from george's bar and grill and you'd have all these kind of guys with the chains and the, and the jacket right. and white collars outside the jacket. Yo, baby. Oh, oh, you, wait, me and you, I love you. You know, so they were like, in, <laughs> they, were, they were great characters. So, uh, and then in the summer, they'd have the tank tops with all the tattoos showing, you know, like Flo on my left arm, Mary on my right, Janie's the girl, you know, and then they'd break off with the girl and they'd cover up the tattoo and, had Rosie on my chest, and then when right. he broke up with her, he put a battleship on his chest. Sure. <laughs> this guy's worth. This guy's worth the song. So early on, I these characters. It seems like periodically when I'm doing an album, this theme just emerges again, like it did with King of the New York Streets, and then it did with Gangster of Love. On the new album, I got a song called "I Got the Cure." It's the same song, same guy, and I. And here's the way I look at it: these some, a lot of the songs that I write, if I could inhabit the character, you know, right. that I'm I'm writing about, I, I could come up with solutions on how he would do this or why he would do that, you know, and and some of the solutions and actions could even be when I was 16 years old. It's crazy the stuff yeah. to come up with, you know. And and Sonny Landreth played on that song on the new album and yeah I mean, what a you know when i when I, I i put my slide bits on 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 your song and then i heard sonny was on the record i was like oh my god you know because like to me he's like one of the best ever and uh so and such a nice guy and and to me yeah. w one of the one of the one of the few guitar players that have come along in the last 40 years that have reinvented the approach you know his his whole approach is uniquely Sonny Landreth, you know, and, and well, that's, what's crazy about this whole album. I just did. It's so crazy. And, and, uh, and, uh, I, I could blame you for it. <laughs> what happened was Sonny Landreth plays the guitar so high, like a, like a violinist, like a virtuoso, and he plucks on it, like a, you know, like a violinist would pluck on it. Yeah. Uh, so he does stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it is distinctive, you know, but, uh, you know, you played on, uh, I, I recorded these 14 songs I had, Joe, that just accumulated because 
I was involved in doing this play in New York that was that'll be opening uh, April 8th, 2021 at Paper Mill Playhouse. But I was working on it with Charles Messina, great writer, and we were, I was having such a good time with it. Then I had two months off, and I had been writing all that time. I thought, let me go in the studio, knock these songs out. And I did. I knocked them out in three days. Right. And the first one you heard, you said, Dion, I, I want to play on that. Right. And I said, hey, be my guest. Well... <laughs> I mean, when I heard what you did on it, it I, see, Joe, I, I got to tell you, this never happened to me, but I found out how limited I am. Uh, you know, I'm trying to make a song and I, I had a track and I would get somebody in maybe to play a horn part or something and I would make a good record. But to get somebody like you. Oh, please. And, <laughs> no, no. And I, I'm saying this. Uh, I'm not blowing. This is just the fact. Like. You and all the people are, are great artists. They're very distinctive. Not one, like you're not like Brian Setzer, and he's not like you. It's it's crazy, wild to have all these very distinctive, oh uh, yeah, like players on on this album. It's just I've never done anything like it. It, it was very exciting for a guy like me. But once you played on it. And I, I sent letters out. I said, "Hey, Joe Bonamassa." <laughs> Everybody said, "Like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know." So they jumped on. You know, cause I, I, Joe, I, I hate to say, I think you're the gold standard there. You know, well, but thank you for doing I, that. See what you started. Well, well, here's a list of some of the um, the guest artists that are on your new album. Um, you have Brian Setzer, Jeff Beck, John Hammond, uh, Van Morrison, Joe Lewis Walker. That's a great pairing. Uh, Jerry and Jimmy Vivino, our, our favorite Italians from New York. Uh, Billy Gibbons, Sonny Landreth, Paul Simon, Samantha Fish, Rory Block, Stephen Van Zant, Patty Scalifa, and Bruce Springsteen. Now, that, that they're not signing up for your record because of me. I can tell you that. They're, they're signing up because you're a legend and have constantly been active since, since your career started at, at 17. And... I don't know. I always tell people, like, I don't know anybody who loves music more than Dion. You love it, and it's 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 just it's just who you are. You you know, like making music is 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 as simple as drinking a glass of water. You have to do it, and and to me, you you've never lost the fire and the passion. And I think you know, on the new album, you really um, you really you really hear that, you know, and and and. Way you sing, the way you write songs—it's like it in, inspires others to 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 come along. And I'm not just blowing smoke, but I'm just saying it's like that kind of enthusiasm is is infectious. I, I don't know. I've always been. I think my father, like I know you got a lot of inspiration from your dad, but my father, he never had a real job, <laughs> but he had wonderful qualities. You know, uh, he had. You know, he in, instilled or encouraged this wonder and awe and mystery of life in me, you know, that I wake up with this excitement about life. Uh, I still do. Uh, the guy, uh, you know, I'm not, he didn't have any rhythm and not, he, he couldn't say, but he, he, he would, he would dive off bridges. He would walk on his hands on the edge of the uh, tenement buildings. He was like Tarzan. Right. Uh, he had a lot of, and he sculpted. He was a, he was an artist. He he would sculpt and paint, and uh, and bring me down to uh, you know the the museums on his shoulders and show me that. And I just got, 
I just, I got filled with enthusiasm for life. I think I, I've always been that way, Joe. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't even know, you know, I, I couldn't say it's this or that, but I'll tell you one thing. Like you, I, I feel relevant. I, I don't think I would have ever even tried to do this album or do this album if I didn't feel relevant and creative. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point? I, I feel like I have a lot to say. I feel like I write better songs now. I feel like I sing better. I don't have that innocence that maybe a 16-year-old has, but I still sing my original songs in the same key. God bless. Okay? I love that. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody the shit is on, man. Where That's, <laughs> that's right. All right. Time for a, a celebrity question. Okay. I reached out to our friend Paul Stanley from, from Kiss, who is a big fan. And I said, you know, I, I'm having the, the great honor of interviewing Dion tomorrow. And, you know, do you have a question for him? And I hope I pronounce these names right. Okay, so the question is, what does he think separated him from his initial contemporaries like Vita Pacone of the Elegance and Nick Santa of the Capris? Like, what, what made you stand out in a sense, you know, where there was a lot of acts that, you know, that, that were kind of, running around New York and was it songs? Was it, you know, the, the, the star quality, was it hard work, etc. You know, I really don't know, you know, both those guys that you mentioned, uh, Vito Pacone, I used to try to copy some of the stuff he did. He, I went on tour with him and he had a voice like cascading water. It was it was unbelievable the stuff he did. The same with uh, Nick. Uh, I think his name was Santa Maria. I I talked to him before he passed, and and I told him I, <laughs> wow, you know he really influenced me. They had beautiful voices. I, I don't know, Joe. I think first of all I played guitar, so I think I think in in the time. Uh, and, and and like we're talking, I think my foundation was always the blues. I found out later how how deep it went and how much of my DNA, you know, uh, uh, the majority of my DNA is is like that's the found, you know, bedrock. So, yeah, yeah. but but I think you know, singing doo wop like those guys. And maybe all of a sudden, you know, the 60s started coming in and guitars came to the fore, you know, and the kind of uh, street singing, the duo kind of took a back seat. Right. And I was always, I always had that guitar, you know, uh, and, and hearing people like uh, Robert Johnson, it was like, you get like getting a second breath and right. opening up another door. And it's like, you know. I, I try to tell people, they say, well, you, you, you know, it's not the same. I say, well, you know, an acorn, you see that, you see that oak tree? It, it's, it has the same DNA it had when it was an acorn. Right. But now birds, you know, nest in it. It's the roots are deep down. It looks different, but right. I kid you not, it's the same DNA. So I'm evolving, I'm developing. God gave me a gift. I cannot sit stagnant. And there are people that have, haven't, they haven't grown past 1963. They, yeah. it, it's, it's like meeting 
you and say, hey, Joe, jump over the couch like you did when you were seven years old. And remember your aunt, Aunt Carmela? She she was laughing the way you j- do that again. Right. I, said, I don't feel like jumping over the couch. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> hey, as a, as a guitar geek, uh, I'll be remiss to ask, what was your first nice guitar? What was the one that cost more than $8? When you, when you became a star and you were like, I, I'm going to go treat myself. What, what did you buy? Well, the first one was i don't know the model number it it was a gibson but it wasn't you know high-end gibson it right. was uh and it and it worked really well but then i was working as a delivery boy i was downtown in a restaurant you know delivering uh, lunches to uh the offices around uh, the empire state building and then i and then i was hanging clothes at uh, Lane's department store on 14th Street. Uh, actually, where I got these hands, I bought these hands when I was like 16 years old. Wow. So, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, what was I talking about? It's really <laughs> nice guitar. Oh, I saved up working and I wanted to get that J200 yeah. Gibson. That yeah. was like the coveted, you know, I wanted to, I saw Elvis Presley with that guitar. I saw a few guys uh, down in Manhattan with that guitar. It was the most beautiful guitar I ever saw. And it was $350 at the time. I wow. saved it up. I bought it. And Susan, the girl I'm married to today, I'm, we're still married. We've been married. Right. 56 years i i met her when she was like wow, 14 i was 16 wow. but when i bought that guitar i opened the case you know joe it has a, like a leather case that tan leather yeah and then the pink up, interior yeah and it has the velvet inside that purple yeah. velvet you know it, it yeah. looks so important i mean that got her I don't. I don't know if she like uh, if I impressed her, but the guitar impressed. I was playing. I was playing <laughs> at the uh, you know the, uh, the Valentine dance at the church. You know, it never works for me. I always go, hey, look at this one. He's like, why do you have so many? <laughs> now, put that great picture of you um, with that guitar. It was a blonde J two hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. That was the guitar. That was, you know, it still is in a lot of ways, you know. So your your album is coming out June fifth, Blues with Friends. Um, I mean, it's an amazing album, and thank you for having me on there. By the way, I'm just like like supremely honored to be on there, and and I'm you know supremely honored to to call you a friend, and you know. Um, I just think, you know, I think it's one of the best albums, if not the best album of your career. I like I, it's in my car and I listen to it as 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 L.A. traffic is now starting to get back to normal. So I never thought I'd be so happy to see cars on the road as I was yesterday. There was right, a right. traffic jam. But um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, thank you. Um, thank you for uh, thank you for doing this. And, um, you know, one of the things that that always impresses me is 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 how people, you know, adapt over the years how they change and they they still remain that that youthful enthusiasm in the music you know and and you know god bless you for it because it's it's so impressive and and you know you're dion you're a national treasure hey joe thank you so much one little story i, I have this uh 
one of the songs coming out is called Song for Sam Cooke. Yes. Here in America. It's coming out, well, two days from now. Well, Friday. Yeah. And it's a song that I wrote a long time ago because I traveled with Sam Cooke. He was such a beautiful guy, a very refined kind of guy. I was rough around the edges. I was from the Bronx. You know, I was like a street uh, fighter. You know, I wasn't tough, but that's the way I was, you know. And and, uh, Sam was raised by a a preacher, and he was uh, like a very – beautiful guy and you know like like back then like i was saying we did everything on instinct you know i didn't define anything but as i started to look back at our friendship because we we were on tour for weeks at a time you know and experienced a lot of stuff he took me to see james brown before anybody knew him you know and and he uh, he you know i wrote this song about him uh, and, and I, I never, I never recorded it. I just put it in the back of the drawer. And last year I went to, I saw this movie green book and, and I knew a lot of the, you know, the people in it, you know, and I, I loved the movie and I, it reminded me of the song. So I, I went in the back of the drawer and I grabbed it and I dusted it off and I, I, I sang it right on camera and, uh, You'll be seeing it Friday. It's a song. It's really a beautiful story because he, he was a beautiful man. He, he was a real, he, it, the song is, <clears throat> isn't so much about racism in America. It's a song about brotherhood and compassion and, and understanding. It's how he understood me. Right. You know, and, and, and what he taught me. So, uh, that's great. Look out, look out for that. I'm well, I, you know, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always nice to, you know, see your generosity to give, uh, you know, a little known singer songwriter a chance to be on your record named Paul Simon. I mean, I think we'll be hearing from him, you know, in the next few years, you know, <laughs> you know, you're very generous with the younger generation of, uh, of that's uh, right. He sang the song with me, right? He, we, we, uh, it's, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, it's Simon and Demucci, you know, that's right, you know, it's good you give the kid a break. You know he needs a yeah. break. You know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, he he needs a, a little recognition here. But uh, uh, you know, one thing I will say as, as we wrap this up is, you come from a generation of singers that are so in tune that we today can't even comprehend that. Now we have every machine in the world that tunes the vocals and makes it all time aligned and everything. It's like when you guys would sing, I mean, you know, Sam Cooke, yourself, and, you know, all, all, all these guys, it, it, it astounds me how in tune and the phrasing is beautiful. And there was no monitors. There was not like we have today. There's nothing in your ears. There's nothing, you know, maybe a few speakers around the stage. But you guys had such a wonderful pitch center that I yeah. believe because you had to. You know, either you did it or you didn't, you know, it was as simple as that. You know, you get in the studio with all these great musicians and just count it down. One, two, three, four, and everybody let loose, you know, and a lot of those, uh, you know, I've been going to a gym during the shutdown. My friend owns a gym. There's like nobody in it, but he plays this incredible incredible music all day long and uh he's on spotify doing you know he has all these lists and but you know he'll go from like today it was you or it, it was your your playlist he had 
but sometimes you'll get like uh, a few times, which is, you know, inspiring. It gets you going. Uh, but hearing like some of those older records, like, like maybe by the, uh, you, you know, you know, like they're perfect records. Right. <laughs> they're just, you know, that's why I guess a person like Etta James doing at last, or, you know, I'd rather, you know, she, she just is, is just so real, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. it's, it's just so lasting those songs they did, you know? Yeah, and it's, you know, you think about Sinatra in the middle of Capitol Studios with a full orchestra and a microphone over his head going, okay, let's go. You know, no headphones. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a skill set that, that is, is, not, is not encouraged anymore because the, the, it's so easy to fix things. And God knows I'm fixed all the time. But it, it, you had it, could get, it could get too technical. But listen, let me ask you a question. Yes. I heard you did an album at Abbey Road. In I did. I did. It's coming out in the fall. And um, I wanted to make a British blues record in London. I wrote the record in London and we recorded it at Abbey Road. And just by being there and embracing the, the, the English culture and my influences from, from my youth, it gave the record the, the seasoning that it, it sounds British, you know, and I could, could have done it in Nashville. I could have done it here in LA or wherever, but being in that environment was How did it feel so, being in the, in that studio. Wow. Oh, yeah. you know, it's it's intimidating. You know, I mean, like you know, <laughs> Studio Two is where you know Abbey Road was recorded. All the great Beatles tracks. You know, with the staircase, we recorded in Studio One because it was just the format was a little bit better for us. You know, and they still have a lot of the old gear. And I was joking with the engineer, and he was showing me like the EMI console that Abbey Road was recorded on, and you know, Sergeant Pepper's. And I said, you know what, that console won't do. He goes, what? I go, write those freaking songs. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the gear in the world won't write those freaking songs. So, and, yeah, and, so you, and he started yeah. to laugh and he goes, you're the first person to ever say that. I go, I go, we can sit here all day. I'm not going to come up with, hey, Jude, we're not, you know, yeah. and, but you still it, need those uh, magic those, fingers you got, those, Joe. <laughs> those, those, those pesky those, things. Those hands you got. <laughs> Just, There's something in those hands. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it's just a knack. Dion, thank you very much. I, I, I can't thank you. It's been a, a real honor. I, I wish we could have did this in person, but, you know, we're in we're in different times now, but we'll do, we'll do it again in, in person. I can't wait to hang with you again. Thanks, 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 for, having, thanks for having me on, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate and, it. And uh, the song is Song for Sam Cooke. It's out on Friday featuring uh, a, a young singer-songwriting, Paul Simon. And, uh, and the album's out June 5th, Blues with Friends. And I'm honored to be on it. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you for all. Thank you all out there and Facebook for listening and watching. We'll see Stay you soon. well. Stay safe. Thanks. God bless.